I wonder if you can remember a time when you've received a particularly warm, genuine, heartfelt welcome. You know, the kind of welcome that makes you feel like you're wanted and that you're loved. The kind of welcome that lets you know that uh, this is where you belong and it's where you're meant to be. I don't know, maybe you've felt like that when you've been home to visit parents or family when you've been away for a while. Perhaps you've felt like that when you've met together with a particularly close group of friends. Uh, Maybe you've even been fortunate enough to receive a particularly warm welcome when you've visited a new church or uh, some other kind of group. I get a welcome like that pretty much every time I walk through the front door at home. It's fantastic. I get swarmed by a bunch of kids who just want to touch me and throw their arms around me and hug me and kiss me. They want to yell at me and tell me that I'm their dad and they want to know where I've been. It's lovely. It's tiring sometimes, but it's lovely (laughs) to be welcomed like that. You know, to feel like you're wanted and loved. To feel like this is where you belong and it's where you're meant to be. Now, friends, wouldn't it be fantastic if you could receive a welcome like that, a warm, genuine, heartfelt welcome, into the new creation? Wouldn't it be great if you could receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? Well, in today's passage, what we'll see is that you can. It's all possible through the knowledge of God and of Jesus. Because knowing God and knowing Jesus, that's powerful. It's powerful knowledge. One reason it's so powerful is because it's through knowing God and knowing Jesus that we're given some truly amazing things. So let's have a look. We'll pick it up from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now did you catch that? It's through the knowledge of God and of Jesus that we're given a couple of really amazing things. Here we're given grace and peace. And we're actually given them in abundance. Because you see, this knowledge of God and of Jesus, it's powerful. But that's not all. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So not only are we given grace and peace, but his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. This is turning out to be some powerful knowledge. Now, somehow connected with those things is the fact that we're also given his great and precious promises in verse 4. And the purpose of all that is so that we might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. Now, we've jumped over some stuff that's a bit complicated there, but can you see the big picture emerging? It's a picture of how powerful the knowledge of God and of Jesus is. Because it's through the knowledge of God and of Jesus that we're given grace and peace in abundance. It's through the knowledge of Jesus that we're given everything we need for life and godliness. And connected with all of that is that this chance to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. So in broad terms, this knowledge of God and Jesus is powerful It has the power to give us some amazing things. But how does it all work? 
Because let's be honest, some of the things Peter says in those few verses are pretty hard to understand. So let's have a bit more of a hard think about it. In verse 3, Peter said, uh, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Now, what does that mean, to be given everything we need for life and godliness? Well, I think it means that we've been given everything we need to live a godly life. That's what the reading said. I think that might have been the new NOV. We've been given everything we need to live a godly life. Now, that doesn't mean we've been given everything we need to live a goodly life. It means we've been given everything we need to have a proper appreciation of who God is and the implications that that that, that has for how we live now. Having everything we need for life and godliness means having, having everything we need to live life under God. See, later in the letter, we'll find out there are ungodly people in this church Peter's writing to. And the ungodly people, they live life without the knowledge of God, sometimes deliberately forgetting the knowledge of God, and so they just do whatever they want to do. God has no impact on their lives. The godly, on the other hand, they're not like that. They live life with the knowledge of God. They know who they are, creatures made in the image of God. They know who God is, the sovereign creator, and they understand and recognise the implications that that relationship has for their lives. They live lives God's way. And what Peter's saying here is that it's through our knowledge of Jesus that we have everything we need to live that way. Now, how does that work? Well, the way that we know who God is and what he's like, it's by knowing Jesus. And the way that we know what God wants for us and from us, well, that's also by knowing Jesus. And so it's through our knowledge of Jesus that we have everything we need to live life God's way. We have what we need to live under God. Now, connected with all that are God's great and precious promises. How do they link in? Well, I think it's because God's great and precious promises help us to know and understand Jesus better. And remember, knowing Jesus gives us what we need for life and godliness. I think it works a bit like this. It's only as we know God's great and precious promises that we really understand what Peter means when he calls Jesus the Christ in verse 1. He means that Jesus is the promised one, the one that God promised, the Messiah, God's chosen king, the one who would come and rule over everyone and everything. And when we know that about Jesus, well, we listen to what he says and we submit to him and we obey him. It's also by knowing God's great and precious promises that we really understand what Peter means when he describes Jesus as our Lord in verse 2. He means that Jesus is our master. He's our owner. He bought us at great cost. He's the one who entered into a contractual kind of relationship with us, whereby as long as we trust him, he will save us from judgment. And so when we know that about Jesus, well, we know that we belong to him. We know that he has the right to tell us how to live. We know that he's the one who has the right to claim our allegiance and our love and our obedience. And we know he's the only one who can save us. So God's great and precious promises, they help us to better know and understand Jesus, which in turn gives us more of what we need for this kind of godly life. In other words, God's promises help us to better, un uh, better know Jesus, and the better we know Jesus, 
the better we know how to live life under God. Now, in verse 4, Peter says that the purpose of all this is so that you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, as if it hasn't already been complicated enough, that sounds complicated. But I think participating in the divine nature and escaping the corruption in the world, I think they're the same thing. In fact, I think participating in the divine nature and escaping the corruption in the world and living a godly life are all the same thing. And I think the way that we do all those things is through our knowledge of Jesus. See, participating in the divine nature, it's a funny phrase, but it can't mean that we somehow become part of God. And it can't mean that we become, you know, like mini-gods. I think what participating in the divine nature means is that we start to display some of the attributes that are characteristic of God himself. We start doing some of the things that are part of God's nature. We start doing things that are godly or or godlike. And as a consequence, we stop doing things that are part of our sinful nature. We stop being led by our sinful desires. And so through knowing Jesus, we're given what we need for life and godliness, which also happens to be everything we need to start doing things that God by his nature does and to stop doing things that our sinful nature wants. In other words, it's through our knowledge of Jesus that we have everything we need to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. Like I said, this is powerful knowledge because it's through knowledge of God and of Jesus that we're given grace and peace. It's through knowing Jesus that we're given everything we need for life and godliness, which also means we've been given everything we need to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. But here's the thing, our knowledge of Jesus is only powerful to give us those things if it's also productive knowledge, which is what Peter goes on to say next. Because basically what he goes on to say is your knowledge of Jesus has given you everything you need for this godly life, now use it, be productive. That knowledge is actually so powerful that it has got to make a difference in your life. Verse 5. For this very reason, that is, because you know Jesus and because you've been given everything you need, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. See, what he's saying is the knowledge of God and of Jesus, it is so powerful that you've got to use it. It's got to make a difference in your life. Why? Because actually doing something with that knowledge, that prevents you from being ineffective and unproductive. Verse 8. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, well, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. See what he's saying? Knowing God and knowing Jesus gives you everything you need for life and godliness. 
using that knowledge, being productive with it, growing in goodness and self-control and perseverance and love, that stops you from being ineffective and nearsighted and blind because the one who doesn't have them, well, he is ineffective and unproductive and nearsighted and blind. Having this knowledge of Jesus but doing nothing with it, that would be like knowing about the men's DIY disasters event or knowing that the ladies' showcase is coming up in a few weeks but not even giving it a second thought and not thinking about who you could invite along and not even planning on going yourself. So you've got this knowledge but it makes no difference. You're unproductive and when that happens it's just disappointing, isn't it? Having knowledge of Jesus, knowing Jesus, but doing nothing with it, it's a bit like that. But it's actually even far worse than that. Because Peter says that knowing God and knowing Jesus and doing nothing with it, it's not just disappointing, it's dangerous. See, what he says over in chapter 2, in verse 20, he talks about people who escape the corruption in the world by knowing Jesus but who have again become entangled in it and overcome. And he says that they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them if they never knew in the first place. He says that because the knowledge of God and of Jesus, it's powerful. And it works two ways. See, if you have the knowledge of God and are productive with it, that opens up some amazing possibilities to you. It has the power to give you wonderful things, But if you have that knowledge and you're ineffective and unproductive, if that knowledge makes no difference in your life, then you're actually worse off at the end than you were at the beginning. It would have been better for you if you had never known Jesus than to know him and to turn your back on him. So how do we make sure we don't end up like that? Because I reckon this is a big challenge for us. We come here every week and we hear good Bible teaching, but it's not good enough just to hear it. You see what he's saying? You've got to do something with it. The knowledge of God and of Jesus, it has to make a difference in your life. So how do you do that? Well, in some ways, the answer is back in chapter 1 and verse 5. Make every effort... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. If you really want to be productive in your knowledge of Jesus, then one thing it will mean is making every effort to grow in these things. So maybe when you sit down at the computer next time and the entire web is open to you and you're in prime position to give in to temptation... Being productive in your knowledge of Jesus, well, that'll mean growing in self-control. It'll mean doing whatever you have to to make sure you don't visit any sites that are at all unhelpful. It'll mean not even indulging in a single hint of sexual immorality. That would be productive. Or when you turn up at work tomorrow, or when you drop in at your mum's group during the week and you're the only Christian there How will knowing Jesus make a difference? Because it can be tough and it can really hurt, can't it, to stand out as a Christian when everyone else is opposed to God? And it can actually put doubts in your mind when you're listening to these arguments that sound a bit persuasive about why all this Jesus stuff is rubbish. Well, knowing Jesus then will make sure that you'll 
will make it so that you'll make every effort to grow in godliness. And you won't snap and bite and snarl when people have a go at you or when they mock you or when they rubbish what you believe. And knowing Jesus will make, mean you'll make every effort to grow in knowledge. And so you'll remind yourself of what you already know to be true. You'll remind yourself again that Jesus is the Christ. He's our Lord. He's already victorious. He reigns over everyone and everything. And you'll remind yourself again that he's our saviour. He's already saved us from our sins. He is saving us and he will save us. And so you won't, you won't be at all enticed by their seemingly persuasive arguments. Growing in those kind of ways, that would be productive. But what about when you go to school or cricket training or soccer practice and everyone else is you know, doing things, saying things that look kind of fun? You really want to join in, but you're not sure. What difference is knowing Jesus going to make then? Well, because you know Jesus, because you know he's your Lord, you'll know that he wants you to take up your cross and follow him. And that might mean missing out on things that look fun now because you know there is something better still to come because you know the great and precious promises of God. And so being productive in your knowledge of Jesus will mean growing in perseverance. It'll mean doing whatever you have to to stick with Jesus till the end. It'll mean listening to what he says, doing what he says, even if every fibre in your being wants to do something different. Because when we know Jesus, we know where everything's headed, don't we? Persevering with him, that would be productive. But what about when you've got that big decision to make? You know, the one about, about taking that job maybe moving towns, moving to a bigger house, upsizing, or that medical procedure, or that relationship, what difference will knowing Jesus make then? Well, friends, knowing Jesus will mean that you'll make whatever decision you have to to make sure that your allegiance to Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, is never compromised and never called into question. Look, in the end, I don't know exactly what it'll look like for you to be productive in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, but I do know this. Peter doesn't expect you to be perfect. Jesus doesn't expect you to be perfect. He just wants you to try. He wants you to make every effort. Because if you're growing in these things, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, then that will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus. And one thing that means is you definitely won't be worse off at the end than you were at the beginning. In fact, you'll be far, far better off at the end than you were at the beginning. Because a productive knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, well, that has consequences for eternity. After all, remember, the knowledge of God and of Jesus, it is powerful. It's through knowing God and Jesus that we're given grace and peace in abundance. It's through our knowledge of him that we're given everything that we need for life and godliness, which means we're also given everything we need to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. And it just so turns out that it's through a productive knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, that we also are given a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. That's why Peter says what he does in verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager. Make every effort to make your calling and election sure. 
In other words, the stakes are so high that you should be all the more eager to make sure that your knowledge of Jesus is productive knowledge. Be eager, make every effort to live with Jesus as your Lord and Saviour in real, tangible ways now. Why? Because it has benefits for the here and now, but not just for the here and now. This has benefits into eternity. After all, in verse 11, if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You see, friends, you can receive a, a warm, genuine, heartfelt welcome into the new creation. At the end of your life, you can receive the kind of welcome where arms are thrown open and you're embraced and you're told to make yourself at home. You can receive the kind of welcome that makes you know you are wanted and loved. The kind of welcome that makes you know this is where you belong, this is where you're meant to be. You can receive that kind of welcome and it's through a productive knowledge of God and of Jesus. It's through knowing that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour and making sure that that truth shapes how you live now. So friends, make every effort, won't you? Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that you've made yourself known to us through your son Jesus. And Lord, thank you that as we get to know Jesus better, we get to know you better. And so that gives us what we need to live life under you. That gives us what we need to live life your way. And so, Father, please protect us from being as foolish as those people who knew Jesus and who knew God and yet turned their backs on him and went back to being entangled in their sinful desires. Instead, Father, give us the courage and the wisdom and the strength to take what we've been given by knowing Jesus and to live rightly under you. Because, Father, this is a wonderful promise this morning. That if we know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and as we live with him as our Lord and Saviour then you will give us a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. And so Father please help us to make every effort to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.